Good morning. If you're with us last week, uh, if you missed last week or you're visiting or whatever, you may not know we're in the book of Habakkuk. And that's not a, a misprint. That's really what we're doing. We're in the book of Habakkuk. And if you're not real familiar with it, I know it's, there's not a lot of sermons preached on Habakkuk, but we're actually spending about six weeks working our way through the book of Habakkuk. If you're not that familiar with it, to find it, you just have to go to Nahum and then go one more book and it's right there. Or it's, it's actually right before Zephaniah. So there you go. Now you know right where. Actually, if you go to Matthew and then you go back five books, you'll get to Habakkuk. If you get the split between Old Testament and New Testament, go back five books. Um, but what we're doing is we're walk, walking through Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. He's one of the minor prophets. Only three chapters in the Old Testament. He wrote 2,600 years ago. And we talked a little bit about that last week. But here's this minor prophet that wrote so long ago in the Old Testament. But yet what his message is and what the book says is so relevant to where we are today and what's going on in our world. And that's why we're taking the time to look at it. And we talked about, just as by way of a little bit of review last week, we talked about Habakkuk's writing around 600 B.C., not too far removed, just a little over 100 years removed from a good portion of Israel being taken out by Assyria. And what happens is Habakkuk's left. There's two little tribes left, and it's Judah. They're right around Jerusalem, and they're surrounded by these world powers. And Habakkuk is crying out to God about what's going on in the world. And he's, he's crying about what's going on in the world, but he's also heartbroken over what's happening in his own country, in Judah, and what's happening there. And because what's happened is the people have turned to idolatry, and they're a mess, and they've turned their back on God. And not only are they surrounded by this other, other stuff, but their own, his own people he's worried about and he's frustrated with. And, and uh, what we saw last week is what Habakkuk says. And just... As we go through Habakkuk, it's a little different than most of the prophets, because what we really have is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. It goes back and forth. And that's what we looked at last week in the first four verses. It's Habakkuk crying out to God. What is going on? What's what's happening here? What? Why? Where are you? In a lot of ways, that's what he's asking. And what we saw last week in, in verses five through eleven of the first chapter is God answers back and he says, I'm in control and I'm sovereign and I have a plan. But my plan's probably not what you think it should be or what you would even imagine. And actually, that's what he says in verse five. He says, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And that's what God says to Habakkuk. And then he goes on to explain to him, yes, I know Judah is a mess. I know your people is a mess. And I know that all the world around you is crazy and things are happening. But I'm going to allow the worst of the worst to come and take you out. So to bring my people back. And Habakkuk says, What? How, how can that be? And that's where we this where we worked through last week in verses 12 down through verse one of chapter two. Habakkuk saying, no, that can't be. How, how can you do that, God? You are so perfect and you're holy and you're pure. How can you allow these awful, awful people to come in and do this? And he just asks all these questions and he's he's more bewildered after God's first answer than he was before it. And he keeps asking these questions. And we got to the end, though, last week in verse uh, chapter two, verse one, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and I will wait. He says, I'm going to wait on you. I don't know what else to do. And that's kind of where we ended last week, that God gave his answer, but it didn't really help Habakkuk all that much. And he was he was more bewildered after than before. So we're going to pick up today 
in verse in chapter two. And we're going to actually we're going to include verse one that we looked at last week. But we're going to look at one through four. You know, we hit on a whole chapter last week. We moved real fast. Now we're going to kind of slow down and really spend some time in these first four verses of chapter two. So if you'd look at that with me, we're going to read verses one through four and then we'll kind of uh, step into those verses and really look at what they say. But it says This is Habakkuk talking back to God, and then we get God's answer, the first part of it anyway. And he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what you will say to me. And I will answer and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Let's pray and then we're going to look at those verses. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for the relevancy, the uh, that it's eternal, that we can trust it, that even uh, what you were revealing to Habakkuk twenty six hundred years ago still has just the most poignant relevancy to us today. I pray that we'd be faithful to this text. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and open our eyes to see it clearly, but not only see it, but that you would help us to apply it to our lives, to take it to heart, to let it change and shape us as it needs to. We thank you for your word and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So as we look at this this morning, what we're really going to see is we start to see the beginning of God's answer. I told you last week, there's kind of two back and forth. Habakkuk talks, then God, Habakkuk, then God. Chapter two is all really God's answer. And we're going to hit on the rest of it. Probably look at the rest of it next week. But this morning, just those first four verses and what we're really seeing. And I mentioned this last week with Habakkuk and God, because it's very different than the other prophets. It's not God saying to Habakkuk, here's my thing. Now go tell. It's kind of this back and forth. Really what we're seeing in a lot of ways is Habakkuk's prayer life, a holy wrestling before God. He's pouring out his heart to God and he's waiting on him and he's going back and forth. And what we see this morning, in a lot of ways, we're going to look at what it looks like, um, that prayer life looks like a little bit and, and what it means to, to wait on the Lord. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I've heard it a lot growing up in church in my life. A lot of times prayer is answered in one of three ways. It's either God. It's either yes or no or wait. And a lot of times, to be honest, the wait is much harder than a yes or a no. Sometimes we'd rather just hear the no and then we can kind of process that and move on. But a lot of times the waiting is much, much harder. And that's what we're going to see this morning, this this kind of waiting. And that is so hard for us to take. We live very much in an instant society. We get instant information. We have cell phones. We have everything. I'll confess the other night I bought uh, I have a Kindle, an e-reader book thing. And I bought a book the other night and I was excited to read it and I picked it up. And it says delivered to your thing in 60 seconds. And it took like maybe two minutes, maybe 90 seconds. And halfway through, I thought, why is this taking so long? (laughs) I mean, that's it's ridiculous when you think about it. But why is my book not here the second I want it. That's just the way our society is. So when we talk about waiting on the Lord and having to wait, that's a very, very hard thing, especially where we are today. And if you look at verse three, what God says to Habakkuk, he actually says for the still still this vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, 
wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God even says to Habakkuk right here, if it seems slow, I want you to wait. I want you just to wait for a minute on what I'm going to answer. And it's going to take a little time. It's probably a terrible reference. And if you haven't seen the movie, that's okay. But there was a really stupid Jim Carrey movie, I think, when I was in high school, where he says, if I'm not back in five minutes, just wait longer. And that's that's like the line. In the, and we used to say that my brother and I joke about it all the time. In a lot of ways, that's kind of what God's saying to Habakkuk. If it seems long, just wait. Just wait on it. And that's so hard for us to hear. But what we're going to talk about this morning is that idea of waiting on God. And really, there's kind of two ways we can go a lot of times. Well, we, we can either wait patiently on him and wait uh, trusting in him. Or the opposite is a lot of times we start to speculate. We start to go out on our own. Well, well, this hasn't happened, so maybe it's this or maybe it's that. We actually talked about that in the prayer breakfast on Tuesday. If you were there, Paul mentioned that. He said that uh, a lot of times, like 95% of the things we worry about never actually come to fruition. And that's what happens when we start to speculate. Instead of just waiting and trusting God, we start to go off on our own. And we want to guard against that. So this morning, I want us to talk about what it looks like biblically to wait on God, to wait on the Lord. And the way we're going to look at this is two ways. First, wait on the Lord in order to wait biblically on the Lord. And this may seem really obvious, but we have to be word saturated. You have to be in the word to biblically wait on the Lord. And then the second thing, what waiting looks like when we are word saturated. And I use that uh that phrase word saturated. I heard that I heard John Piper use that phrase and it just really struck a chord with me. I like the way he said that to be saturated in God's word. And when he used it, he was talking about the church, the body of believers, that he wants us all to be saturated in God's word. And I really like that because what he was saying is that we need to have the word so dwelling in us that it directs our steps and it directs our thoughts. And it's so dwelling in our lives that everything we do, it's coming to bear on it. And I like the word word saturated because it makes me think of uh, being a kid and taking one of those great big sponges and we put it on the driveway and you take the hose and you'd see how much water you could get in the sponge. If you're, you're trying to saturate the sponge, you would get it until it was just so heavy and dripping with water that if you even touched it, it would just water would squirt out of it. Or if you tried to pick it up, it would just be pouring out and it'd be really, really heavy. And I started thinking about that idea of being word saturated, that you couldn't even touch it without it coming out. And that when we become word saturated as people, we can't make decisions. We can't think through anything. We can't uh, have conversations where we're not thinking through what the Bible says, how it comes to bear on those things. Um, I was thinking about it. I, I call my brother, Jeremiah, since he's here today, I use him as the example. I call and I value his opinion because I know when he gives me an answer, he's processing it through scripture and what it says. And he's always saying, well, let's I'll call him. and I'll say, well, this verse says this and this verse says this. And then we'll talk about all these different. And that's the way he processes. That's the way he thinks. And I want to be surrounded by people who think that way, that let God's word come to bear on how we make decisions and how we being word saturated. I'll give you an example. If somebody comes to you and they say, uh, so-and-so really upset me. They did this. And they start to tell you about what they did. When you're word saturated, you can immediately start to fo- work through that and go, you know what? The Bible said you're supposed to go talk to that person. You're not supposed to come gossip to me. Why don't you, you see what I mean? You start to, to 
focus and work through and process things through what Scripture tells us. It tells us if you have a problem with somebody, you go directly to that person instead of going to talk about them. And when we start to have the word dwelling richly in us, we quickly go to those. No, no, no. Why don't you go talk to that person? See, in a, when we, so that's what I'm talking about when we talk about being word saturated. And I like that thought of the sponge when it's so full, because really, when we talk about waiting on the Lord, a lot of times when we're waiting on the Lord, it's very hard times. It's hard to do. And there's external pressures coming on us. And you think about when you take that sponge that is so saturated with water and you squeeze it, just like when we're squeezed with external things in our life, what comes out? If your word saturated, God's word is dwelling richly in you. It comes to the surface in those hard times and you can have faith in his word because it's eternal and it's trustworthy. And we need to be that way. And you even see that right here in Habakkuk two verses two, when when and it says the Lord answered me. And this is God talking to Habakkuk and he tells him, he says, write the vision, make it plain on tablet so he may run who reads it. And what God says is, okay, I'm going to give you my answer, but I want you to write it down, write this down and make it plain. And and then he says, so he may run who reads it. And as I was reading this week and kind of studying that, there's a lot of people, a lot of different ideas about what that means. The he who runs um, is it, it's possibly that the person who's going to tell this is going to be persecuted. So they better be ready to run because people are going to be after them when they hear they may not like what they hear. Uh, one was talking about how. Um, it's going to be read many times down through the ages. So write it down because it's going to be read over and over. And I kind of like that as I thought about it, because here we are 2,600 years after it's written on the other side of the world in Dawsonville, Georgia. And here we are reading it and we're looking at it. But here God said, write it down because it's going to be read. And uh, but wh- whichever it is, whichever exactly is meant by that phrase The reason God tells him to write it down is that it's not going to be an immediate uh, fulfillment of it. He says it right there in in verse three. So he says, write it down. And then verse three says, but still the vision awaits his appointed time and it may seem slow and wait for it. What God is saying is it's not going to happen right away. I want you to write this down and it's going to take a while for what I'm telling you to come to fruition. But I want you to write it down. So when it happens, you can look back and see that my word is eternal. And you can see that none of my words return void. You can see exactly what my word means and that it is trustworthy. And this is all throughout Scripture. It's not just here in Habakkuk 2. You see it all throughout Scripture that God's word and how important it is in our lives. I think of Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Or in Hebrews 4, when it tells us that the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's pretty serious when you think about it. God's word is living and it's active and it can discern the intentions of our heart. Or in Second Timothy, when it says all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be a complete equipped for every good work. This that God's word equips us and it corrects us and it teaches us and it helps us. Or I think of Jesus in the in the temptation before Satan and he comes to him and Jesus answers. He quotes scripture 
back to Satan in Matthew 4, 4, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you see this all the way through scripture that we're to be saturated in his word. We're to be letting it come to bear on our lives so that it can correct us where we need correct us, correcting and encourage us where we need encouraging. But the, the truth is the truth of God's word is it's eternal and it's sure. So when we talk about waiting on the Lord in tough times, we have the the uh, we can go one of two ways. We can, as I said at the beginning, we can start to speculate and go on our own thoughts and what I think and what this might mean. Or I can go to God's eternal word and let it come to bear on the situation. So the first thing we need to get when we talk about waiting on the Lord is that we are saturated with his word. We are letting it dwell in us richly and deeply and letting it guide our emotions and our things and all those other. Because otherwise we'll get off track so quickly. So the second part then is if the word, if we're doing that, if it dwells in you and you're letting it come to bear on your life, what does waiting on him, on the Lord look like? Uh, You may not know or Maybe you've heard that a lot. We say that a lot in church. That's part of the church vocabulary. If you go to church and you grew up in church, wait on the Lord. We say that. We'll just wait on the Lord. And we that's actually in Scripture a lot. As I was looking this week, 40 plus times it says that phrase is in Scripture to wait on the Lord. It's in the Psalms a lot. It's in the prophets a lot. But it's just in there a bunch. And as when you start to read and you start to look at those and you even here in our passage, you see it tells us quite a bit about what it means to wait on the Lord. The scripture tells us what it looks like. And you see it right here in verse three, because he says, God says to him, if it seems slow, wait for it. If it seems slow, wait for it. And really the first way we we can wait on the Lord and it's kind of coming from that from verse three that we can see is that we're to wait patiently. We're to be patient with God. We're to wait patiently on him. And, and, and by the way, we can wait impatiently. It does. That does happen. We can be very impatient in our waiting. Um, I can give you a perfect example. I'm sure you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen this at some point. You're sitting in traffic and there's like a thousand cars and nobody's moving. And there's one guy like honking his horn and he keeps honking. And then he does the move where he pulls out into the shoulder to look ahead and then honk some more. And you're all sitting there to get you can't go anywhere. And he's so impatient that I've, where, when are we moving? When are we, you know, it's very easy. And we do that with lots of things. You know, we pray and then, okay, hurry up, God. Let's, where is it? You know, I, I prayed for this this morning. Why is this not resolved? It's already three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, we're, we can be so impatient. And the reality is when we're so impatient with it, we're not really trusting him and we're not trusting his timing. Because if we're really trusting in who God is and what he says right there, it will surely come. It will not delay. God's timing is perfect. But the hard part for us is his timing is not our timing. And sometimes we go, ah, hurry up. When are you going to do this? And he's saying right here, he's telling Habakkuk, you may not see how, but my timing is right. And I want you to see there what he says to him in the end of verse three, because it really adds it leads us to the next one. I want us to look at at the end. He says it will surely come. It will not delay. We need to wait patiently, but we also need to be waiting on the Lord expectantly or confidently. He tells us right here, I will do I'm going to do this. It's going to happen. And he even says it's going to happen. Uh, It will not delay. And he tells them uh, it, the vision awaits its appointed time. It's going to happen exactly as I planned it. 
It's going to happen in the perfect timing. It just you. So what I'm getting at is we need to be patient, but we also need to be confident that God's going to answer and he's going to work. We may not know exactly how, but it's going to happen. And his his timing is not our timing. And that's hard for us to get. Sometimes there's a song I listen to quite a lot. I listen to it on the way to church a lot. And there's a there's a uh, section in it where the guy says, peel back the veil of time and let us see you with our naked eyes. And what he's saying is, if you could just let me step out of time with you and see the big picture the way you see it. And then he goes on to talk about how he would worship and and uh, just to be able to see. And sometimes if we could just just get that glimpse, if we could step out and see it from God's perspective, the things that we think take so long and are so slow, we would see that he has perfect timing and that it will come. And we should be waiting confidently and expectantly that it's going to happen. But the, the, uh, as we talk about the, that, though, um, I think of James 1 where he tells us that uh, we're to have faith without doubting. And the one who doubts is like the, the waves of the sea and you're thrown all around. And, and so, so you can say, well, we should be waiting on the Lord expectantly and you're not supposed to doubt. But I, I've got to direct you back to the very first point that we have to do so being word saturated. Because if we're not, what happens is then we expectantly, without doubting, ask for things that aren't biblical. And that gets us into problems. When we start to say, I am going to hold. Yes, I have strong faith. I'm going to win the lottery. And I'm not turning God loose until that happens. And I'm, I'm claiming that and it's going to happen. And what's going to happen, I hate to break, you're probably going to be pretty disappointed and you're probably going to be waiting a long time. And the reality is, and, and the reason I say that and I bring that up is because there's things sometimes where we get a little, we're, we're not right in the center of God's word. We're not saturated with what it says. And we start to pray for things that maybe aren't quite in his will. And when we do that, it's easy to get off and it's easy to start to, uh, to get frustrated with it. But also the, the flip side of that is not expecting where you're doubting, then you're not trusting him. You need to be word saturated and you need to be in his word, then holding. But you do need to be trusting him that he is going to show up and that he is going to answer prayers. I was thinking of a good example of, of when we doubt. And I guess this is a, a guy thing, but I like to take my boys just from I don't know where this came from. I think it's just a male thing. But I put them like on counters and stuff and then have them jump to me and catch them. It's just fun to do. I don't know why, but we do that all the time or they jump off stairs or I put Jed on top of the refrigerator sometimes and he jumps off. And, uh, anyway, it's just fun to do. I don't know why, but they like it. And you kind of like that. They just, they trust you. They're doing like cannonballs off the, the thing and just letting you catch them. But for whatever reason, they, they get really nervous at the pool. They won't jump to me into the pool. They haven't quite mastered the pool yet at their age. So they're kind of whatever. And so we'll go through this thing when we're at the pool and I'll say, jump to me. And they say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I say, come on. And we talk about, I say, do you trust me? And Asher will say yes. And then he'll start to cry. <laughs> he'll get tears. I trust you. And do you think I'll catch you? Yes, I think you'll catch me and all that stuff. And finally, I just have to grab him by the hand and kind of pull him in and catch him. And he cries and screams and then he hits the water and you've got him. And then he giggles and thinks it's great. And I was thinking about that. That's the way we are with God on so many things. We're there. I trust you. I believe you. I think you're in control. But no way am I jump. No way. Uh uh-uh, uh. Uh uh. And then when we do, and then it's resolved, and then we think that wasn't so bad. And then you spend all that time, just like Asher spends all that time crying and getting upset and all that. It was all for nothing because it turned out it was actually really fun, and he enjoyed it. And he ended up me holding him 
in his arms, and it's the same way with God. He had us all along. We were in his arms the whole time, and we didn't see how. And what happens is we end up fretting over all these things and worrying, and it wasn't even worth it. And uh, I want you to think why this morning, and we always hit on this at some point, of why that we can we don't have to worry. We're going to move to the last. There's two more things I want us to see, but I want us to stop right here in the middle for a second about why we don't have to worry, why we can be confident that God has our best interests in heart. And it goes back to Jesus and the fact that he came to us and what he did for us, that we can trust him completely. I was thinking of Jesus's words from Matthew six when he says, look at the Birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And that's Jesus' words to us. He says, what are you worrying about? I take care of the birds. You don't think I'll take care of you? And the reality is Jesus proved how much he loves us. He doesn't just say, oh, I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. He came to us and he came and he took all the very worst that could possibly be. See, when Jesus came to us, he took all our sin onto him. He took uh, beatings. He took torture. He died in a horrific way. And all that paled in comparison to what happened when he went to the cross. Because when he went to the cross, God poured out his wrath on all sins on Jesus. So whatever happens, whatever the worst this life can throw at you, Jesus knows it and then some. And then infinitely more if we're really going to be accurate. So when we talk about being expectantly and confidently and having patience, we can because of what Christ did for us. So we can say neither height nor depth nor things seen or unseen can separate us from the love of our Father because of what Jesus did. And he proved it. That's why Hebrews 13, when it says, Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you can confident we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? His love is greater than anything. And that's why we can be confident and we can be patient and we can be trusting. And then that even leads us to the next one. And we see it in verse four. And just so we're clear, verse four, Jesus start, or Jesus, God starts to tell Habakkuk uh, this prophecy. Verses two and three, he's telling him, write it down. It's going to take some time. And then he starts into the prophecy. But I want you to see the very first thing he says, because it kind of it comes to bear on what we're talking about. He says in verse four, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And what happens is is God starts to talk about the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, same thing, and how awful they are. And he starts to describe them and he says how puffed up and arrogant they are. And we talked about that last week. He actually says that in uh, verse 11 of chapter one, their own might is their God. And they're so arrogant and they're so sure of themselves in and of themselves. And when we talk about waiting of the Lord, what I'm bringing that back to is when we understand what Christ has done for us, that he did all of it for us on our behalf, no doing of our own. It should lead us to be to a great humility. And when we wait on the Lord, we are to have humility, waiting, understanding what it cost him to purchase our salvation, 
because he, he's, he's removed any doubt of how much he loves us by the way he handled and came to us. But then we should also understand that our salvation is completely his doing. He's done all of it. All of it. All good comes from him. And we should always have that thought that his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are greater than my ways. And it should be radically humbling to us. It should cause a deep humility. So when we wait on the Lord, we're waiting humbly, knowing that he knows better than we do. And we're okay to wait. And we're okay to leave that to him because of what he's done for us. And because he is control and it's all his doing and his love for us. And it should be very humbling to us. And that really brings us to the last part. When we start to see that, we see his love and it gives us this great humility. It leads us to the one last one I want us to think about on how we're to wait. We, uh, I think of uh, James chapter 1 and verse 2 when it says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through various trials. Just consider it all joy. And the last thing I want us to think about is we're to wait joyfully. You wait joyfully when we take all these things together and they come under the, the banner of the cross and what Christ has done for us. When we start to see all of them together, we can not only wait patiently in peace, we can wait confidently about what he's going to do because we know how much he loves us and he cares us and how great he is. And we can rate, wait humbly, but we can wait joyfully. Because as he says here at the beginning, this vision awaits its appointed time. This is going to happen. And we're going to talk about exactly what he says is going to happen next week. But he says it's going to happen. This is a, a, as sure as can be. And he proved it and he purchased it on the cross. So even in the worst of times, even at the hardest times when we're on our face before God and we're pleading with him and we're waiting, we can lay it at his feet and we can leave it there and then we can wait joyfully. Does that seem odd? <laughs> We can wait joyfully because of what he's done for us. And that doesn't mean we won't have times where it's, it's hard, but we have a deep joy that's abiding that, that can withstand anything because of who he is and what he's done. And that's, that's a hard thing to, to take those two and put them into, into uh, fit them together, that there's times when it's, it's hard and it's frustrating. But the reality is, and I was reading, uh, I love the way he says it in Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, I mentioned him last week. He wrote a great book on Habakkuk. And he says the reality is when we go to God in prayer and we lay things at his feet and we're struggling with them and they're so hard and we pray and we get and then we get up and we feel better for a minute. And then we immediately go back to worrying about them that we didn't really leave them there. We didn't really give them to him to really give them when we understand how much he loves us and he cares and that it's his timing. And it's good. you can just leave it at his feet. And that is so hard to do. It is so, so very hard to do, but, but we can do that. And uh, I was thinking about just how to, how to come to an end this morning on, on how hard that is sometimes and those things. And I kept in my mind going back to first, or Second Corinthians 4 and what Paul says about how. I'm just going to, as I said at the beginning, we want to be word saturated. I want God's word to be dwelling richly and deeply in us. So I'm just going to end this morning with this from Second Corinthians 4. And Paul says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
See, God has a plan that so far outweighs anything that we go through in this life that it will be so wonderful it's beyond, we can even think, an eternal weight of glory. So, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, that uh, we can humbly and uh, confidently wait on you, knowing that you care and that you love us and that you hear us and that you do have a plan. You have a way that you are working that oftentimes is baffling to us that we just we can't get our minds around and we can't see. But because of what you've done for us, we can completely and totally trust you and lay it at your feet and leave it there. I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you that you have proven your love for us, that you purchased uh, our right standing before God by what you've done on our behalf. And I pray that we would walk in that each and every day. We thank you. Thank you for all you've done for it, done for us. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen.